Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 5. And in this chapter, it talks about how the Philistines, who had just overcome the Israelites in battle and had killed over 30,000 people, well, 4,000 in the beginning and then another 30,000, and captured the ark, which was improperly brought into battle by, by the Jews, by the Israelites. Um, and then what happened to the Philistines. So, in 1 Samuel chapter 5, it says, the Philistines, reading from verse 1, now the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it, in, brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. That's in 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 1. Then the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it to the house of Dagon and set it up by Dagon. And when the Ashdodites arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and set him back in his place. But when they arose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left. Therefore the priests of Dagon, therefore neither the priests of Dagon nor all who enter Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. And the hand of the Lord was, was heavy on the Ashdodites, and ravaged them, and smote them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territories. And when the men of Ashdod saw that it was so, they said, The ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is severe on us, and on the Dagon our God. So they sent, and they gathered all the lords of the Philistines to them, and they said, what shall we do with the ark of the Lord God? And they said, Let it, the ark of God of Israel be brought to Gath. And they brought the ark of God of Israel to, around. And after they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great confusion. And he smote the men of the city, both young and old, so the tumors broke out on them too. And so you can read on how he smote city after city. So there were five city-states of the Philistines. Each city-state that this was brought to, destruction followed. And it's believed that this was the bubonic plague because it mentions in, in other writings that there were tumors actually specifically on the hemorrhoids. And this is what, the way the bubonic plague works. And any city that the bubonic plague has ever come into throughout history, great confusion has resulted because so many people die. Tumors end up forming and these break and there's pus that ends up welts in the skin and many, many people die. It is transmitted by rodents, by rats, by mice. And you will see at the end of this chapter that in an offering to try to appease God, they, they make these golden tumors and they make golden mice. And so you see that the relation probably to the bubonic plague that was hitting them and the confusion. So they capture this ark. They bring it into the house of Dagon, which was a fish god, which was a fish that had a man's head and a man's arms, but a fish body. And the first day it falls on it, that, that evening it's knocked down over by God, and the next evening it's, it has its head cut off and it's thrown down and, and its hands cut off. And you see that God begins to ravage the Philistines. Now we had seen last week that the Israelites lost the battle, not because the Philistines were so great, but because of their own disobedience. And God says that specifically in three portions. In Jeremiah 7, verse 12 through 15, He says, I destroyed Shiloh. He says it again in Psalm 78 and again in Jeremiah 26, verses 6 and 9, how God destroyed Shiloh because of the Israelites' disobedience. 
And again and again we see the Israelites, and it even occurs today. When they obey, their land expands and they do well. When they disobey, the land contracts and they do poorly. And, and uh, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about Israel and their obedience and the blessings and the cursings. I want you to understand this. And so, I was born a Jew, raised a Jew, I will die a Jew. But I believe Jesus is the Messiah. It's, called, it's what's called a Messianic Jew. You say, well, are you a Christian? I say, yes, in a sense, but I was born a Jew. And, and, uh, um, and I believe Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. Remember, long before Christians were around, the church was very active and filled only with Jews. So if you read the book of Acts, that's all there were. And people say to me, well, how can, you, how can it be that you're a Jew and you know, be like a Christian? And I'm like, well, how can you be a Gentile and be a Christian? That's really the amazing thing, because if you read the New Testament... Christianity is so Jewish, so Jewish in its origin, so Jewish in the way it was practiced for many, many years before even a single Gentile came in the church. The amazing thing is not that a Jew can start believing in the Messiah, but that a Gentile believes in the Messiah. That's really the amazing thing. There's a verse in Matthew 11:11 which says that no greater man has ever been born of woman than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So I'm going to talk about the blessings upon the Jews and those who bless them and the cursings upon those who curse them. But I want you to remember that Jesus said the greatest man ever born of woman was John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Meaning that what we are in the spirit far supersedes what we are in the, in the natural whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be black or white, slave or free, the Bible is clear that what we are in the spiritual realm supersedes what we are in the natural realm. So keep that in mind. That as great as John the Baptist was, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So our place, because of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and walking with him, supersedes anything in the natural let that be with you as I start talking about these practices of the Jewish people and the blessings and the cursings. Let me turn, have you turn back to Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 is the promise to Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse the one who curses you. So God gives a promise to Abram, who later became Abraham, said that I'm going to give you a land, in verse 1. I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to bless the world through you. And then he says in verse 3, Though I will bless you, and the one who blesses you I will bless, and the one who curses you, I will curse. This promise to Abram has not changed. And this is what I'm going to show you today. It is amazing to see what God has said come true. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And in fact, the blessing is in kind, and the cursing is in kind. Looking in Deuteronomy 32... 
Deuteronomy 32. Something else he set up with this nation in particular. In Deuteronomy 32... In verse 8, Deuteronomy 32, verse 8. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, He separated the sons of man. He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. For the Lord's portion is, for, for the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the allotment of His inheritance. It says in verse 8, when God set up the boundaries for countries, He did this according to the number of the sons of Israel. Very interesting. That even for Gentile nations, He sets boundaries according, somehow, in accordance to the Jews. Very interesting what He sets up. What we're about to see is God's foreign policy for the Jews and for the Gentiles throughout history. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Look in, in, uh, at an individual le- uh, level of blessing. In Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 15, there's a story here, and I'll summarize this for you. Pharaoh sees Sarai, Abram's wife, and before Abram goes into that place, he tells his wife, he says, you know, just say you're my half-sister. And he says, just say you're my sister. Because she really was his half-sister and his wife. This was allowed back in those days. His half-sister and his wife. But he didn't let Pharaoh know that this was really his wife as well. He said, this is just my sister. So Pharaoh's Pharaoh's servants saw how beautiful she was, put her into Pharaoh's harem. Now, God then strikes Pharaoh because of this and sends a plague upon Pharaoh's household. That's in verse 17 but, uh, of Genesis 12. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that this was your wife? Why did you say to me, She is my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now, here's your wife. Take her and go home. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they escorted him away, and his wife with all the belongings with all that belonged to him. So, in this case, Pharaoh had done no wrong. Just been put into his, his, she had been put into his harem. He never, he never had relations with her. God immediately struck. Those who blessed Abram, he would bless. When this woman was transferred to, to, to Pharaoh, the cursing came upon him. And he says, you better get out of here before you bring destruction upon my whole household. And the same thing happens in Genesis chapter 20 to a man named Abimelech. Again, Abram says that this is my sister. Abimelech sees how beautiful this woman is, Sarah at this point, takes her to be his wife. God appears to Abimelech in a dream in in, uh, uh, verse 3 of Genesis chapter 20. And he says, but God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is married. Can you imagine God coming to you and saying, you're a dead man. I mean, it's all over. When Abimelech finds out that this woman is married, he immediately gives her back to to Abraham. And he says, why didn't you tell me this? And it says, God had closed fast all of the wombs of, of, of Abimelech's wives. And you see cursing for cursing in kind. 
at this point, now she, her name was Sarah, a promise had come that through her would be born a son, and this son would be the offspring through which the Jewish nation would come. If she became Abimelech's wife, that would cut this off. So a cursing came upon Abimelech, curse for curse in kind. He had shut fast the wombs of all of Abimelech's wives. In verse 18, it says that of Genesis chapter 20. For the Lord had closed fast all the wombs of the household of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abram's wife. And it says, then, then, uh, then Abram, Abraham prayed for Abimelech and God restored him. But cursing for cursing in kind. You try to cut off the, is, the Israelite seed through Abraham, I will cut off your seed. Cursing for cursing in kind. These are individual cases. Look in, in uh, Genesis chapter 30. The story in Genesis chapter 30 is the blessing that came upon a man named Laban. Laban wa- wa- was Jacob's, uh, Jacob's uncle, and Laban was not a worshiper of God. Jacob, remember there was Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob was of the descendancy of Abram, Abraham. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 30, Verse 27, it says, But Laban said to him, If now it please you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. In other words, working in Laban's house was Jacob. Laban recognized that his whole household had been blessed because Jacob was working there. Because this Jew was working there, Laban was blessed. Same thing in, in Genesis chapter 39. Again, individual blessings come. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph, again, one of the descendants. Joseph is taken, and he's taken into slavery in Egypt, and he ends up in Potiphar's house, who is chief of the, of, of the, the bodyguard. And he, because Potiphar is good to him, and he is working in Potiphar's home, God blesses everything within Potiphar's home. In in Genesis chapter 39, verse 5, it says, And it came about from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. Potiphar was good to Joseph. And God blessed everything in regard to Potiphar's house. This Egyptian was good to Joseph. Remember this principle. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. And this is not because the Jews have any great obedience, any great deserving. It was because of a promise to a man named Abram. And God underscored that promise, underscored that promise again and again. This works also at the national level. If you turn to Exodus chapter 1. In Exodus chapter 1, this is the first, the first anti-Semite nation was now Egypt. They enslaved the Jews who were there in Egypt for 400 years. They enslaved them in Exodus chapter 1. Put them into slavery in verses 8 through 11. And then in verses 15, 16, and 22 it says, they wanted the systematic killing of the Jews. Potiphar tells the midwives, the ones who go and deliver the babies for the Jewish women, if it's a woman, let them live, but if it's a male child, throw them into the Nile 
and have them drowned. And so you see in verse 22 of Exodus chapter 1, Then Pharaoh commanded all the people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. This was the systematic annihilation of the Jewish race. The first one. And this was to take place, it was genocide. The first genocide that we find of the Jews planned. And so what happens? Curse for curse in kind. We know the story of the plagues that come. The plagues that come strike down the firstborn male of every household. You affect the Jews' males, your males will be affected, he tells Pharaoh. Every firstborn male in their household died in a single evening. And then, when the Jews were going across the Red Sea, what happened? The entire Egyptian army was drowned in the sea. You want to drown the children of the Jews, the children of Israel? I will drown your children. Curse for curse in kind. You say, oh, well, that's just a coincidence. It is not. How many of these would you like to see? We will continue. Curse for curse in kind. Blessing for blessing in kind on the Jews. Curse for curse in kind. This is why I tell people when I hear them talking negatively about the Jews, I say, talk negatively about some other people group if that's what you'd like to do. But don't talk negatively about them because you're really in for it. Just keep that to yourself. Just keep that to yourself. I won't want to speak about them negatively. Sure, they oppress, and in fact, Messianic Jews are one of the most oppressed people groups. Not the most oppressed by the Jews, but one of the people groups that is very oppressed in the nation of Israel. Uh, uh, There are others that that are more oppressed by that nation, but Messianic Jews. But nonetheless, I pray for the peace of that nation. And the prosperity of that nation. Because God commands us to. It says, you are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It doesn't say, if you feel like it, if you like to. The Bible says, you are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. So, so we see that God destroys the firstborn and then drowns the entire army. There's another one in, in Exodus chapter 17. The Amalekites, as the... No sooner do they get into the wilderness that they're attacked by Amalek. The Amalekites attack them. Unprovoked, they are attacked by the Amalekites. And God makes a promise. God vows in Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. He says, Exodus chapter 17, verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial, and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. And he said, The Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. Amalek attacked Israel in war. Amalek is going to be destroyed in war. Now, it doesn't happen for hundreds of years later. It happens that Saul was commissioned with wiping out the Amalekites. And that was in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And very interesting, at this point, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, living among the Amalekites, now hundreds of years later, are the Kenites. The Kenites now are living among the Amalekites. So normally they would get wiped out as well. But no, God had made a promise to the Kenites in Numbers 24-21 that he would not hurt them. Hundreds of years earlier. So Saul goes and he says to the Kenites, get out 
from living among the Amalekites, I'm about to destroy them. And then he goes to destroy the Amalekites. He doesn't totally fulfill it. It's end up being fulfilled years later. But the Amalekites are finally wiped out. You attack Israel in war, you will be wiped out in war. Curse for curse in kind. The book of Esther. Tremendous book. This book of Esther. Where Esther is... is um, becomes queen. She is a Jew within the nation of Persia. She becomes queen under Ahasuerus, who is king. She has an, uh, a, a, an uncle named Mordecai, a relative named Mordecai. Rel- this relative Mordecai won't bow before Haman, who was one of the top officials in Persia. He won't bow before Haman. So Haman vows to kill Mordecai, the Jew. But just killing Mordecai the Jew wasn't enough. He wanted not to just kill Mordecai, but to wipe out all of the Jews. Again, genocide proclaimed by this man Haman. Interestingly enough, Haman builds gallows, very high gallows to have Mordecai hung on. And who is hung on those gallows? Haman himself is hung. Curse for curse in kind. Haman had gotten a proclamation saying that you could destroy all the Jews on such and such a night. Well, in fact, the whole thing turned around. The Jews were able to defend themselves. So if you look in Esther chapter 9, verse 5, it says, Esther chapter 9, verse 5, Thus the Lord struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. The Jews living in Persia, ended up destroying those who were going to destroy them. Curse for curse, in kind. In kind, it happened. And in fact, in, in uh, uh, Esther 9.26, because of this event, there is a holiday that is still celebrated in Israel and in the U.S. by American Jews to this day, and that is the Purim holiday. And in, if you look in... in Esther 9.26 Therefore they call these days Purim after the name Pur. And because of the instructions in this letter, both what they had seen in regard and what had happened. And to this day, this feast is celebrated, the Feast of Purim. And it's, it's also interesting that even in 1946, Julius Stryker, who was Hitler's chief propagandist, uh, during the Nuremberg trials, was, was, was condemned to being hung. And as he walked up to be hung, he walked up to the gallows, up the scaffold, he said two words. This is from Julius Stryker said. He said, Purim, 1946. Curse for curse in kind. This was Hitler's chief propagandist who wrote in the newspapers all these things about the Jews. Now, does this work out in the New Testament? And the answer is yes. This also works out in the New Testament. If you look in Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, Jesus fulfilled this very same thing. Blessing for blessing in kind. In Luke chapter 7. And there's this centurion in Luke chapter 7. And if we read Luke chapter 7, verse... And when he had completed, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 7, verse 2, And a centurion slave, who was highly regarded by him, was sick and about to die. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and to save the life of his slave. And when when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him. 
For he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and, and, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and he turned, and he said to the crowd that was following, I, would, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great, great faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. So here is this Gentile soldier, this centurion, and there was no great friendship between the Jews and the Romans. But this particular Roman centurion had endeared himself to the Jewish people because he sent Jews, Jewish leaders, to Jesus and they said of this centurion in verse 5, he loves our nation, it was he who built us our synagogue. And what does Jewish Jesus do? As soon as he finds out that this man loves the nation of Israel and built them their synagogue, he says, I'm on my way to his house. He went on his way to go heal this guy. And then other servants intercept him on the way, say, you know, this centurion says, you're not, he's not even worthy for you to come under his roof. Jesus said, I've never seen such great faith. And the servant was healed at that very hour. Jesus immediately went to heal this person. You say, well, Jesus always did that. No, he didn't always do that to Gentiles. If you look in Mark chapter 7, in Mark chapter 7, there was a Syrophoenician woman who wanted her daughter healed. She was a Gentile of Syrophoenician race. In Mark chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus got up and went away from there to a region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, they want, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You see the difference in Jesus' response to this woman? Here is a Gentile woman coming and imploring him, please, please, repeatedly, cast this demon out of my little daughter. And Jesus is repeatedly saying to her, no, I've come for the children of Israel. Once the children are satisfied, they will come and they will bless the Gentiles. It will be extended through me, through these, these, these children of mine. Through the apostles will come and do this. Now is not the time. She's imploring him. Why the difference? Why the difference? Here's a woman falling at his feet. Because this man, this centurion, had blessed the Jewish nation. When Jesus heard that, he immediately remembered a promise that his father made to Abram, those who bless you, I will bless. Jesus went off to bless him. He ends up, because of this woman's great faith, healing her daughter. But you see the difference in the response between just a typical person and a person who is kind to the Jewish nation. You see this response. What I'm doing is sharing with you a treasure for success in life. Bless the Jewish people and you will be blessed. Because, not because they're worthy, but because of a promise to Abraham. And I do the same thing. I do the same thing. A portion of my offering, my tithe goes to my local church, but a portion of my offering always goes 
to Jewish ministries that share the gospel with Jewish people, that reach out to Jewish people, that go and do good things to Jewish people. Because this blessing is not just for the Gentiles, it's for the Jews as well. You are kind to the nation, you will be blessed. You do this practice, you will be blessed. It extends into the, into the New Testament times. It it's, extends also into Acts chapter 10. There was a man named Cornelius. Why, of all Gentiles, should Cornelius be the first Gentile in the church? There were many Gentile converts, many Gentile converts that were practicing Judaism. Why not take one of those and bring those as the first Gentiles into the body of Christ? No. God goes to a man named Cornelius. It says that he was a good man. And he was kind to the Jewish people. And he was always giving them alms. This is in in Acts chapter 10. He did well. He was giving alms to the Jewish people. God brings this man as the first Gentile into the church. Because he was kind and giving alms to the Jewish people. He was kind to them. Blessing for blessing in kind. This is a pretty remarkable thing, to be the first Gentile welcomed into the church. He and his whole household. He and his whole household, because he was kind to the Jewish people, it extended in the biblical times. How about post-biblical times? Spain, 1492, had a Spanish edict of expulsion. All Jews had to leave the country. So there were three ships commissioned under Columbus. And we have this thing, oh, it was Queen Isabella sold her jewels and bought these ships. That is not true. It was not Queen Isabella's jewels, it was Queen Isabella's Jews that bought the ships. There were two banking families that commissioned these three ships. When they had this this expulsion, they got, who left were the doctors, the scholars, the professors, the bankers, all left and it started a rapid decline of the Spanish economy. The three ships go, and in Columbus's own diaries, it is written there were many Jews on board those ships that were fleeing because of this expulsion edict, edict and what was happening building up to the expulsion edict. The first man to sight the New World, uh, Columbus marks as a Jew, was in the crow's nest, the first one to spot the New World. The first one to walk down the ramp in the New World was Luis de Torres, Columbus's translator, who was a Jew. Again and again, these things happened. And the entire Spanish Armada, to give you an idea of how strong the Spanish Armada was, every country in South America speaks Spanish, except Brazil. It gives you an idea how much influence they had. The Spanish Armada was totally destroyed, not in war, but in a storm. After the expulsion edict. Some years after this expulsion edict. Again, you see the same sort of thing in in England. When England had the Balfour Declaration to open up a homeland to the Jews, then when they essentially disannulled that, that, where they annulled that that, uh, uh, Balfour Convention, the empire started to crumble. Germany. Germany had had an interesting practice. First, they would build walls around the Jews to separate them from from, from the German people. They had a game the Nazis would play. They would take a Jewish man and say, go kill this other Jewish man. And if you don't, we will kill your whole family. That was a game that they would play. It was interesting that after the war, a wall was built. A wall, curse for curse and kind, right through the middle of Berlin. Right through the prized city, a wall was built. They built walls around the Jews. A wall was built separating them. Germans were killing Germans trying to cross this wall. 
You made Jews kill Jews, Germans shall kill Germans. Curse for curse in kind. And to this day, Nazis are searched down and have to be in hiding. There was the Six-Day War. Nasser said that he was going to push the Jews back right into the Mediterranean and they'd have to swim back to Europe. In fact, it turned out it was the Egyptians that were swimming across the, US, the, the Suez Canal to flee from the Israelis during the Six-Day War. Uh, King Hussein had said that he would expand his border to encompass all of Palestine. He certainly, his border moved, but in the other direction, starting the fourth day of the Six-Day War. Again and again, blessing for blessing, curse for curse in kind. There are future prophecies concerning this in Ezekiel, in Zechariah. Future prophecies of what's to happen about those who bless, those who curse, those who attack, those who protect. And in, and in, and in, in Malachi, in Malachi chapter 6, it says, in Malachi, I'm sorry, Malachi chapter 3, there's this statement, very interesting statement about this Jewish nation. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, therefore you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Because God does not change, the sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, this does not mean the Jews do everything right. No, 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 not at all. You go to Israel and you will see. I mean, they, they abuse the Messianic Jews. They can be very abusive in their practices toward other people. But, as far as the way I deal, I will not badmouth them as a nation. Certainly, there may be practices that I do, but I pray for their peace and for their blessing. Their land expands and contracts as it always has and always will based on obedience. If they obey, it expands. If they disobey, they'll get beat up and they'll contract again and again. And because of disobedience and their they're, they're, and, it, and it's believed by many scholars, many Messianic Jewish scholars, because of their disobedience and their disobedience to the revealed will of God and unbelief in the Messiah, all of this is occurring. It's interesting that the first destruction of the temple occurred in something like 700 B.C., 650 B.C. It is believed that there were three things that the Jews were doing, but primarily idol worship. That first temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The Jews were in exile for 70 years. 70 years because of idol worship and disobedience. 70 years and then they were brought back to the land and the temple was restored. Jesus said that because of their disobedience and because of their saying that, that uh, uh, the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit in the, book of, in, the, in the Gospel of Matthew, that this temple would be destroyed. And he's 30, 30 years after he said this, the temple was destroyed. 35 years after he said that, the temple was destroyed. And now, for t over 2,000 years, the temple has not come back. What was the disobedience that the Jews were doing? And, you know, I've asked my Orthodox Jewish friends, why, with idol worship, you guys were sent for 70 years, our people were sent for 70 years into exile. Now, what, was there idol worship in the first century AD? No, there wasn't. In fact, after the destruction of the first temple, never did Israel to this day ever suffer again from idol worship. Never, never, never. What happened? And so they give me these long discourses, well, it's just general hatred against the Jews. I said, no, God could protect us from that. There was a massive disobedience that occurred that resulted in that second destruction. And that was the denial and the rejection of the Messiah. And the Messiah will one day return 
But God in His mercy rebuilt that nation in a day, like it says in the Scriptures. Can a nation be built in a day? And it was built in a day by one vote of the United Nations. It started again in a day. And so, there is a way, though, to destroy the Jews. There is one way to destroy the Jews. So don't tell this to enemies of Jews. But there is one way, and it is defined in Scripture how to do it. God gives the secret how to do it. But because God's enemies don't read the Bible, they'll never know. But look at this verse in Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 35. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 31, 35. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord. There is the secret. There is one way to destroy the Jewish nation. First, you destroy the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then you will be able to, and only then will you be able to destroy the Jewish nation. Here's what Mark Twain writes about the Jews in his writings called Concerning the Jews. Mark Twain writes this, He could be vain of himself and be excused for it. The Egyptian, the Babylonian, the Persian rose, filled the planet with sound and splendor, and then faded to dream stuff and passed away. The Greek and the Roman followed and made a vast noise and they are gone. Other people have sprung up and held their torch high for a time, but it burned out. They sit in twilight or have vanished. The Jew saw them all, beat them all, and is now what he was, exhibiting no decadence. No infirmities of age, no weakening of his parts, no slowing of his energies, no dulling of his alert and aggressive mind. All things are mortal but the Jew. All other forces pass, but he remains. What is the secret of his immortality? Here's Nicholas Berdeev, who, who was a communist, a former communist, and he wrote in The Meaning of History. He says, I remember how the materialist interpretation of history, when I attempted in my youth to verify it by applying it to the destinies of the peoples, broke down in the case of the Jews, where destiny seemed absolutely inexplicable from the materialistic standpoint. According to the materialistic criterion, this people ought long ago to have perished. Its survival is a mysterious and wonderful phenomenon demonstrating that the life of this people is governed by a special predetermination, transcending the processes of adaptation expounded by the materialistic interpretation of history. The survival of the Jews, their endurance, their absolutely peculiar condition, and the faithful role played by them in history, all these point to the peculiar and mysterious foundation of their destiny. So you see that this is an interesting people. God allowed the Philistines to come in to destroy them, but God never allowed their total destruction. God allowed it. God did it. But bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. You want to be blessed in life? Do these people good. Do good to all people. But in particular, there is a particular blessing proclaimed by God upon these people. You do them good, you will be blessed. If you want to say a bad word about them, I beg you not to. Lest that bad word come upon you. Just because what I have seen in my life and what history bears out, He will bless those who bless them and curse those who curse them. Let's pray.
Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. Father, thank you for what you have wrought and what you have done because of a promise that you made to a man that you love. Thank you, my Father. Lord, I pray your blessing to be upon these young people. That as they extend blessing toward the Jewish people, that blessing would come upon them. And Father, I thank you that there is no one greater than those, than the least who is even in the kingdom of heaven. Father, that what each of them is in the kingdom of heaven supersedes anything that any man is in the flesh. Father, thank you for that truth, that what we are in the kingdom of heaven is so great. Thank you, my Father, for your mercies. In the name of Jesus, amen.